The children are dismissed to our core kids' classes. The book of Acts, chapter 2. I guess somebody wants lights on, right? The book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 14. When you got it, say so. And it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into light before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Lord God, we thank you for your word that is true. We humble our hearts before you this morning, and we thank you that it was impossible for death to hold you down. We thank you, Lord, that today we can worship and honor the God of the possible. And we pray this morning that your spirit would grip our hearts as we read your word, as we hear your word. Let our lives be changed for eternity's sake, for your glory and for your name's sake. Let us not, Lord God, be hearers of your word alone, but let us be doers of it, God, that we may glorify you in our response and faith and obedience to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand. We want to make sure that the ushers are able to see that you don't have an outline. Hold your hand up, and they'll get you one. I want to be sure that you can follow along in the introduction of the, the sermon. Also, that you can take some notes. And as always, I remind you that you are a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, you should be helping someone grow in their faith or reaching someone with the gospel. And the, the outline that you have in your hand is an opportunity or a tool for you to utilize in order to sit down and talk with someone about what you were learning on Sunday morning that will help you to help them to grow in their faith. And so I pray that you will use that. So if you look at your outline there in the beginning, arguably the most important day in history is the birth of Jesus. If there is no birth, there is no life. If there is no life, there is no death. If there is no death, there is no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, we're here for no reason. Hello. 
But the day that we celebrate today is the day that completely changed history in that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That is the day that changed history because there were some other people, as you read your Bible and you learn that they did rise from the dead, but there are none of them that are still living. The rest of them that rose from the dead, they died again. Like Lazarus, he rose from the dead and he is now dead still uh, with God in glory, but he is not living like Jesus. He didn't rise and live eternally, internally, eternally the way that Jesus does. Second paragraph there, the reality of the resurrection changes everything in that the God of Christianity demonstrates his power over hell and the grave. Death, which is inevitable for all men, is no match for the God of the Bible. Let me say that again. Death, which is inevitable for all men, is no match for the God of the Bible. When we look at the resurrection and we look at the reality of the resurrection, it changes everything. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful because God saved me. He brought me out of the darkness, right? He brought me into a relationship with him. As Sister Marisol was sharing today, she had daddy issues. I think many of us in this place, if we really talked about it, most of us have some kind of daddy issues. There's some of us that do not, but most people that I talk to have some kind of daddy issues. If they don't have daddy issues, then, you know, they have some kind of issues because we all got issues. Hello. Right? Whether it's daddy issues, mama issues, brother issues, sister issues, whatever issues it is, we all have issues. And that's the reason why Jesus had to come and die is because of the issue that is the greatest of all, which is sin. But when we look at the Bible, we look at something that is different in Christianity than any other religion. Listen, no other religion can boast in a resurrected prophet, in a resurrected guru. Every guru is dead under the ground somewhere. Every prophet is dead except for one. And that is the one that we celebrate today. That is Jesus and him alone. And that is what sets Christianity apart because God did something that nobody else can do. God conquered something that no one else could conquer. Listen, I don't know about you, but you know, I'm a little bit older than I used to be, you know, I'm, and um. And I, and I wish that there was a fountain of youth, right? I wish that there was a place that I could go and I could just take a drink and just be good to go for the rest of my days, never feel another ache or pain and get younger, you know? I wish that I was like Benjamin Button or whatever, you know, that... Well, kind of. I guess it's kind of weird. But nonetheless, I, I wish that I could not age, and, and I wish that I could defy death and all of that stuff. But the fact of the matter is that no matter how much I work out, no matter how much I eat right, no matter how many vitamins I take, no matter how many supplements I partake of, no matter how healthy I am, I am going to die, and I can do nothing about it. You are in the same boat. We are all in the same boat. But our God does what? He conquers the thing that man can never conquer. He conquers death in the resurrection. And so last paragraph, today we come to celebrate the truth that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. It is this, our God is alive. Our God is all powerful. Our And our God is graciously involved with his creation. You get that. God is not just all powerful. He is not just alive, but he is graciously involved. God didn't just create stuff and then check out. Are you here? God created, and he is actively involved in his creation. And as the fact that, that he is actively involved in his creation, we have a hope for here and now, but more importantly, for the life that is to come. We have a hope for here and now, but more importantly, for the life that is to come. So here's the big idea that I have for you this morning. The resurrection reminds us of God's ability and that he walks with us. 
When we look at the resurrection, we see God's ability. And, and, and again, I say this, we can do a lot of good stuff and we can demonstrate our ability and our strengths and all of that stuff, but we can never do what God did. And so when we look at the resurrection, we see God is able beyond anything that we could ever understand. God is able beyond anything that we have ever known. And not just that, but he walks with us. He's with us. He doesn't leave us. He's with us in all things. He's there wherever we are, whatever we may be going through. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the resurrection gives us the eternal hope of salvation. The resurrection gives us the eternal hope of salvation. And so the first thing I want to point out, I want you to look down with me, if you would, to verse 36. Verse 36 says this, and this, this verse becomes so imperative for us as we listen to this message. Because of this, if, if this verse is not true, then nothing that I say matters. Hear what I'm saying? If this is not true, nothing that I'm saying matters because you're not accountable for anything that I'm going to say. But if this verse holds true, if this verse is a reality, then that means that you and I are accountable to the truth that is in this verse. So look at what this verse says. This verse says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let all the house of Israel know, and the reason why he says the house of Israel is because he was preaching to Israelites alone at that moment. In this sermon, this is the first sermon that has ever preached. This is the first sermon that brought the church to life, and he is only preaching to Israelites, and he's saying, listen, I want all of you to know that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, there's two names there. There are two titles there that are very significant. The first one is the one why this sermon even matters, and you should pay attention. Because the Bible says that he is Lord, right? He is kurios. He is the one who is king. He reigns. He rules. God demonstrated who he was through signs and wonders and works that were great. Sin, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I mean, sometimes like God's got this holy club that he's going to smack me upside my head with every time I do something wrong. Listen, I want you to know for sure he is Lord, he is holy, he is righteous, and there is judgment coming for those who are rebels and continue to rebel against him. But he is also the Christ or the Christos in the Greek, which is talking about what? He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one who can give you an assurance. So when I come before him, right, when I come and stand before God, I don't have to be fearful because of what? Because I trusted the Christ. Because I trusted the one that we sing about. Again, the resurrection. We are excited about the resurrection, but the resurrection doesn't have uh, 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 anything to it if there's no, or, or there could not be a resurrection, should I say, if there was no sacrifice in the beginning. If Jesus did not die in our place, so what did he do? He dies for sinners like you and I. That's what he does. He sheds his blood for sinners like you and I. He dies in our place because of what? Because we cannot, and we'll look at this in a moment, we can't save ourselves. So what is the first thing? We're talking about this God of the possible. The first impossibility that he deals with is the fact that man cannot save himself. That's the first thing that he does. Look at verse 21. It says this. It says, and it shall come to pass that whoever, say whoever. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say shall be saved. 
So it says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, let me explain something to you. Before this time, there was something that, 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 was, that was reality, and it was that salvation was only for and through the Jewish people, meaning this, that the only people that could be saved were the Jewish people in that time. There was two groups of people before the cross, and it was Jewish people and non-Jewish people. Salvation was through the Jewish people. The only way you could be saved was by either being born into a Jewish family and living according to the law or by you being circumcised and becoming a proselyte or a convert and becoming a person who adhered to the law. If you did not do that, you could not be saved. And you know what Jesus does on the cross? He tears down that veil. He tears down that middle wall of separation. And what he says is that now whoever, not just Jews, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved, will be saved. So he gives us this assurance. He lets us know this, that if we call upon him, that there is salvation. So again, the resurrection gives us eternal hope of salvation. The thing is this, is that we can't save ourselves. You know why? Because our good works aren't good enough. No matter how good we are, I want you to understand this. Heaven is not filled with good people. It's filled with people who put their faith in Jesus. For some reason, we have this belief that we can just be good enough to get to heaven, that we can do enough good to get to heaven. Well, you know, we think all the time, like you have conversation with someone, and maybe you're this person. I don't know. You think to yourself, I'm not hurting anyone. Why do I need to go to church? I'm not hurting anyone. Why do I need to believe in Jesus? I'm not hurting anyone. Why do I need to do A, B, C, or D? The reality is that it's not about how good you are. You will never be good enough to make yourself right before God. Never. Why? Because God is holy. He is righteous. He is pure. There, he, is, he is so different from anything that we are. Just a few weeks ago, in the beginning of the year, if you, you weren't here, you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. We walked through the Ten Commandments. How many of you realize that you are a heathen by those Ten Commandments? All right, so everybody that was here realized every week that they were guilty. I realized every week I had to do it twice, two times on Sunday morning, and then the whole time while I was preparing, I'm like, man, I'm a heathen. I cannot believe how horribly sinful I am, right? Because I realize this, because you know what? The Bible does this. When we start looking at how holy God is, we start to realize, man, I am not that. And no matter how good I may be on one day, man, I'm going to mess up the next day. And so the reality is I cannot save myself. Let me say something else. Your religious commitments, those don't save you either. Heaven is not filled with religious people. Heaven is filled with people who have put their faith in Jesus. Hello? Sometimes we think, well, I come to church every Sunday. That's a good thing. Please come back. Please come every Sunday. I want to see your beautiful faces every Sunday. That's what I want to see. It's a good thing for you. Come worship. Come lift up the name of Jesus. Be encouraged. Be challenged. But listen, coming to church on Sunday doesn't save you. Hello? Coming to church on, on, on a small group or, you know, going to a small group or giving money or, or, or doing good deeds, that, that religious stuff, that does not save you. But we think that it does. Our faith has to be in Jesus Christ. So no matter what we do, we cannot save ourselves. And see, the reason why this becomes so important is because where is our faith going to be at? Is our faith going to be in dead stuff or is it going to be in someone that's living? Listen, a dead God can't save you. I don't know, but if I was dead and you were drowning I would, and I was your hope, you're going to drown too and you're going to join me, Right? Because I can do nothing for you. If you're next to someone who is, who is incapable of saving you from something and your trust is in them, guess what? You're done because your hope is in the wrong thing. God shows us in the resurrection we can trust him for eternal salvation. We can trust him for eternal life. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the resurrection, the resurrection. 
gives us the promised hope of God's presence. The resurrection gives us the promised hope of God's presence. So not only does God promise us a salvation that we cannot earn, a salvation that we can trust in, but he also promises us something else, and that is his presence. He promises us to be with us, not forsaking us. So, you know, like when we sing these songs, you know, uh, you, know, I, I'm, you, know you are for me, I'm not forsaken. Like those words matter because they are the heart of God towards his people. And so I want you to look forward. Look at verse 37 in your Bibles, and we're going to read from verse 37 to 39, but look what verse 37 says. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said, and, and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And I didn't read the whole sermon, but when Peter, Peter preached this whole sermon, these people sat there, and there was something happening in their hearts, kind of like when you're sitting down there, and you feel something is going on inside, you're hearing the word being preached and something is happening inside of your heart. There's something going on. You know, you start to feel hot. You start to feel cold. You start to feel all kind of fun. You start to feel uncomfortable in your seat. It's because God is doing something in your heart. And what Peter does is he says, listen, he's there preaching to them. And then the people are like, man, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? How do we respond to this? We know that what you're saying is accurate. I mean, he preached a hardcore message. If you read that whole sermon, I mean, he was pointing the finger at them, you, you, and you, and you. That's what he was saying. You guys killed him. You guys ignored these signs and wonders. You guys put him on the cross. And can I pause for a moment? Because sometimes we think that we can disconnect the cross from our life, but you want to know what? We're the ones that nailed Jesus to the cross. Some of you are like, no, I didn't. I wasn't there. I wasn't even born. No, no, no. <laughs> he died for your sins. It was my sins, it was your sins, it was our sins that put Jesus on the cross. And so if I wasn't sinning, guess what? Jesus wouldn't have to die. But because I sin, Jesus has to die. Therefore, I do what? I put him on that cross. He hung on that cross for me. He hung on that cross for you. Again, you can't save yourself because if you could, Jesus didn't have to die for you. Jesus had to die for every single person. And so what I believe is this, is whenever you hear a message being preached, you should have the same type of response as these people did. What must I do? Are you here? What must I do? When you hear the word of God on, on, on average times, you know, on average Sunday, every Sunday when you come, you should be saying, man, God, what is it that I need to do? How do you want me to respond to you? What is it that I need to do to live out the truth that you're communicating? When you read your Bible, you should have that heart. God, what is it that I'm supposed to communicate? How am I supposed to live this truth out that you're speaking to me? And Peter, does, he, has the, he has them ask this question. And look at what he goes on. Look at his answer to them. Then Peter said to them, repent. And what is that? word repent mean that word repent means change your mind did you hear that change your mind turn away from your thinking turn around from the position that you're going this is difficult for us for us to decide i'm going in the wrong direction i don't know about you but you know i'm a guy i thank god for gps because i don't have to ask anyone else for directions but i don't like to ask for directions i don't even like to read directions if i'm completely honest right because I just want to do things my way. I think I know exactly where I'm going. And, and, and the reality is that for many of us, we're the same way in life, not just when we're going from point A to point B. We want to say, I know where I'm going. I'm good the direction that I'm going. But God is saying to you what? He's saying, turn around. Change your mind. Stop thinking that the direction that you're going is okay. The direction you're going is not okay. You may think you're not hurting anyone, but I died for you. Hello? Hello? 
It's not about you living how you want to live. It's about you living for me, for my glory, for my honor, obeying what my word communicates. And so he tells them to repent. He says, repent. And then he goes on to say, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And so repentance was an action. It was a changing of mind. But then there was this external act that, that, that coupled with that repentance. And it was a public declaration that I am now a child of God, that I am no longer living for myself, but I am now living for the glory of Jesus. And it was this act of baptism. And for those of you that are in this place, next Sunday, we're actually having a baptism service. And so if you make a commitment to Jesus today, next Sunday, you can join some other people that are already signed up to be baptized, and you can make this personal decision that you make this morning, one that is public next week, and you can say to the world, listen, I belong to Jesus now. I'm making a commitment to Christ. I'm acknowledging the forgiveness that I have in Christ. But he goes on to say this. He says, he says to them, not just that, he says to be baptized for the remission of sins. And the last part of the verse, it says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look what he says, for the promise is to you. He's saying, who's the promise to? To the people that are sitting in front of him. The promise is to you. And it is to your children. So that would mean their children like their kids, but it would also mean to the generations that would come after them. And then he says, and to all who are afar off. Who was he talking about there? He was talking about everybody who is not a Jew right now, those people who are afar off, all of the Gentiles. And then the last thing that he says, and as many as the Lord our God will call. And so what does he do? He makes this promise. He says, listen, if you repent, if you turn from your sins, if you, if, you, if you make this a public declaration and commitment to me, I will fill you with my spirit. That's what God says to us this morning. This is not something, ah, God might do it. No, 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 this is a promise. This is a guarantee that God says, I want to feel, I don't just want to make you feel bad about your sin. I don't want to just make you recognize what you've done wrong. I want to empower you to live for my glory, and I want to fill you with my presence. Now, that is a powerful promise. I want to fill you with my presence. In other words, I want to dwell with you. I want to make you know joy like you've never known it. I want to make you know peace like you've never known it. I want to make you know strength like you've never known it. I want to make you know what it's like to really walk in victory, even in the most difficult situations of life. I want you to know a presence like you've never known. I want you to know that God wants to walk with us. Brings us to my third point here. My third point is to say this with me. The resurrection... Gives us the guaranteed hope of God's intervention. The resurrection doesn't just make us know that, that God wants to save us. It doesn't just make us know that God wants to be with us. But it makes us know as well that God is going to intervene in our lives. And whatever our situation, those circumstances may be, if you turn with me, if you have your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to verse 39, this is what it says here. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And look what it says here. What then shall we say to these things? In other words, to everything that has been written up until this point, what shall we say to these things? And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's 
It's a question. Is that what we're supposed to say? And the answer is absolutely yes. And look at what he says in verse 32. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Who did he deliver him up for? Us all. For all of us that are in this place, for all of those lost humanity, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? If you're a child of God, you are part of God's elect. It is God who justifies. God is the one who justifies us or gives us a right standing with God. Who is he who condemns? Listen to this. It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He rose as well. And he is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I, communicating with the Father on our behalf. When you forget to pray, he doesn't forget to pray. When you don't know what to ask, he knows what to ask. When you need direction, he's asking for you to get that direction. He's communicating with the Father on your behalf. In verse 35, he says, what or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This should be encouraging. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Look at verse 37. Yet in all these things, what are these things? All these hardships, all these difficulties, all of these things, we are more than conquerors through what? Through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. Why are we conquerors? We're conquerors because of the love of Christ. What is our confidence? It is the love of God toward us. It is that love that God demonstrates on the cross toward us that makes us conquerors, that gives us confidence in situations that we face and that we go through in this life. He says in verse 38, he says, For I am persuaded, that means he's convinced 100%, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now listen, that's a lot of scripture right there, and I don't have time to unpack every single part of that. But here's what I want you to know, is that that is written to people who are believers, that's who this is written to primarily. It's written to those who are believers. And he's encouraging them as they are going through hardship, as they are going through trial, as they're going through difficulty. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to encourage them and let them know all things work together for good for them that love me. That's what he says. For those that love the Lord. So listen, this is encouraging if you love God. Hello, somebody. So the first question is, do you love God? That, that's the first question that I have here is, do you love God? And if you say yes to that, I want you to test that love because I know this much. If I tell my wife I love you and yet my actions don't say that, guess what she's going to say? You're a liar. If you tell someone you love them and yet your actions don't affirm that, you're not telling the truth. And so if you say you love God, you say, oh, yes, I love God. Okay, does your life look like you love God? Is God first in your life, in every decision, in everything that you do? Is God first in your family? Is God first in your finances? Is God first in every area of your life? Because if he's not first, I got to question your love. You need to question your love. Do you really love him? Are you seeking God in his word to see what he wills? And are you obeying that? Because if you are not, then I got to question your love. I'm not talking about your perfection. I'm talking about your sincerest devotion to God. Do you love him? 
See, because here's what I know. We are all, listen, he's calling. He's either called you, and what I mean by that is you're either walking with him right now or you're not, and he's calling you right now. It's one of the two. Either you're walking with him and you love him, and you know what? You've been called according to his purpose, and what is that purpose? It's to make you more like Jesus. That's the purpose that he talks about there, to make us more like Christ, to make us more like him. So you are either already called walking with him or God is calling you this morning and saying, daughter, son, come to me. Come to me. I want you to put your faith and your trust in me because, again, I'm a living God. I'm not a dead God. I've called you to trust me. But how is it that God intervenes? I want to tell you two ways that I see God intervening in our lives. The first way is the one that we all want. Every one of us want God to intervene this way. It is when God walks into a situation that is impossible, walks into a situation that is difficult, and he delivers, he heals, he answers your prayer in the affirmative and says, yes, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. That's what we all want, do we not? Every one of us wants that, and I believe that God can do that, and if you read your Bible, he does that many times, where he walks into situations, he flips it upside down, he makes it right, he does that kind of stuff. Amen, God does that, but listen, there are other times that God doesn't do it that way. What God does is he walks you through the situation. I didn't say walks with you, I said he walks you through it. There's, there, there's a little bit of a difference. It's not just that he's standing beside you. There's this poem. It's called Footsteps, right, or Footprints or something like that, right? Look at that confused. But anyway, I remember reading it one day, and I remember crying. I don't know if, how many of y'all have ever heard of that, that little poem, Footprints, right? And, and, and it's a cute poem, right? But I remember reading it, and I started crying afterwards. I'm like, I, I wasn't even going through anything in my life. But I was like, oh, my goodness, he was careful. And the whole point of the poem, if you haven't seen the poem, go, go, don't Google it now. I'm talking. Um, but... <laughs> When you go home and over lunch, Google it and look it up. But here's the thing. The, the, the poem is saying that I looked back over my life, and when I looked back in the sand, I saw one set of footprints. Why wasn't there two? And God is like, because I was carrying you. See, because there's sometimes that we go through stuff in our lives, and we wonder, man, why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this? Why is this hardship happening to me? And there's sometimes that God is simply disciplining you in his love. See, because a lot of times, that's the reason why the scripture becomes so important. Because many times we think hardship means God doesn't love me. That's not true. Are you here? How many of y'all... I know we have some different cultures in here today. Um, how many of you have ever gotten spanked in your life? Raise your hand if you've ever been spanked. That's good. That's all of us. That's because, you know, good. Amen. Good parenting. Good parenting. Um, some of that would have been child abuse, right? Some of it would have been considered child abuse. Um, praise the Lord that, you know, we're still living, right? I mean, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> now, parents, how many of you can honestly say it hurts you more to spank your kids than it did what you spanked them? Sometimes. Some of y'all are like, nah, <laughs> it hurt them because I am whooping. <laughs> I say sometimes. It's like a 50-50. There's some moments that I'm like, yep, you deserve this. Hello, somebody, right? I, it's not hurting me to do that. You need this. But, um, but, <laughs> but other times it's like, man, I don't want to spank you, but it has to happen, right? God loves us is what the book of Hebrew tells us. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. And so sometimes it's God chastening us. And, he, and, and, he, and what he's doing is he's, he's doing this to develop us. He's doing this to build us. And, and, then, and then there's other times that, man, our sin just walks us right into hardship. Sometimes our sin walks us into difficulty that we have just been sinning. We have been doing dishonorable things, and we end up experiencing hardship, whether it's in our marriages, in our families, in our finances, in our lives, whatever it is. But here's the, here, here's the thing that I want you to understand. I heard this at the marriage conference. I thought this was really good. God will not protect us from that through which he will perfect us. 
God will not protect us from that through which he will perfect us. See, nobody woke up this morning or any day of the week and said, God, I want it to be rough. Right? Like nobody woke up and said, God, I'm praying for a hard day today. Like that's what I want. Like as a matter of fact, we're all trying to vote for Mondays to go away, right? Because Mondays are just terrible. Like, but then it's just gonna be Tuesday and Thursday. Before you know, we have no days of the week. But all that said, right? Nobody wakes up and is like, man, I want a rough ride right now. I want a rough day right now. I want I want a hard day, God. Nobody says that. But can I tell you something? Sometimes God walks us through that kind of stuff because he is more concerned with our character than our comfort. He's more concerned with us becoming more like Jesus than he is with us being comfortable. And if he has to let us go through hardship to get our attention, then he'll do that. And he calls us to trust him. And so here's the thing we realize is that it is impossible, again, for us to save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't do anything to make God take us to heaven. We can't do that. We cannot do anything either to deliver ourselves in many cases. And God is there to do that as well. And he's there to develop us. The question is this, is are you trusting him? Here is my closing question. Have you put your trust in Jesus for salvation, for deliverance, and for development? Have you put your faith in him? Have you put your faith and your trust in Christ? And so the first thing I want to ask you, because you know what? I don't know everybody in this room um, But if you're in this place and you have not put your faith in Jesus, my question is why? Why or what are you waiting on to come across that line and say, God, I'm yours. I'm trusting you with my life. If you haven't done that, today is the opportunity for you to say, God, I want to commit my life to you. God, I want to live for your glory. God, I want to serve you. God, I want you to have your way in my, today is the opportunity for that. God is trustworthy. He rose and he calls you again. He's calling. The question is, are you responding? Are you responding? Today's that day. Don't leave this place the same way you came in. If you don't know Jesus, you can walk out of here trusting him, putting your faith in him and what he did for you. And you know if God was talking to you, you know God, you feel that something inside of you. You don't even know how you know, but you know. It's that thing that's there. Don't don't ignore that. Trust him today for that. But then you might be in here today, and you you know what? You're like, man, I'm saved. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm serving Christ. But, man, I'm going through some impossible stuff. I'm going through some difficult situations. I got some issues in my heart that I just can't seem to deal with. The question is, will you trust him today? Will you trust him today for your deliverance? And will you trust him today for your development? You may be going through something, and God says, no, I'm not going to deliver you from it, but I'm going to develop you through it. Will you trust him with your development as well. Let's all stand on our feet. Let's bow our heads for a moment. So the question is, have you put your trust in Jesus for salvation, for deliverance, and for development? So my first question is, for those of you that do not, are not committed to Jesus right now, but you want to be committed, you want to make a commitment to Christ today, you want to make a commitment, you want to say, God, here I am. You want to respond, you want to trust him for salvation So I'm going to ask you, if you're saying that is you, if you say, God, I want to put my trust in you. I want to put my trust in the sacrifice of Jesus. I want you to fill me with your spirit. I want you to do a work inside of my heart. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to come forward right now. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat. I'm going to ask you to come to this altar, and I want to pray with you. I want us to to pray. I want us to pray together. Amen. Amen.
Is there anyone else that wants to come forward? And this is just the beginning. Coming forward is just the beginning. It's just the start. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. And then if you're in here, I'm going to ask you to just keep your heads bowed. If you're in here, and I, and, and I, will, I will say this. In first service, after, after I did this in first service, nobody came up front for the first service. But then after service, I was talking to, to someone, and he was like, man, I really wanted to come forward. And he's like, you know, but I, I didn't want to play with God and stuff like that. And listen, I'm not going to tell you not to play with God. I think that that's wise. Don't play with God. But I'm going to tell you, don't ignore God either. So if you're sitting there, I'm, I'm going to say it just one more time before I move on. I don't, I don't want to press you on this, but man, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait for another day. Today, if God is, if God is speaking to you, don't be embarrassed. It's about you and him. And so I open up the altar for a couple more moments before I move on to pray. If there's anyone else. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. And so if there's anyone else in here that is that you're, you're, you know, you're a believer, but you're just struggling. You're struggling. I mean, you're struggling to trust God with whatever it is you're going through. I said, I want to encourage you, put your faith and your hope in him today. Put your trust in Christ today for that situation, for that circumstance. Come on, let us all pray together. I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father we come to you right now. And we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh. Do a fresh work in my heart. Help me to trust you for my deliverance, for my development. And help me to keep you first in all things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. Hallelujah. Let's ask you to just worship the Lord for a moment. Just worship him.